0: If you got your Bibles with you, hard book to find this morning. If you could, please turn to the book of Genesis chapter 1. I know that's in the, you know somewhere in the very, very beginning. There it is. Really hard for you to find. Um, I have I've, uh, long been a fan of an author named Louis L'Amour. Louis L'Amour writes these little books right here. He died before I was born, but I have loved these since I was in middle school. These are are Westerns, and I've read, I don't know, probably a hundred of them. I'm not sure if there's any of them that I haven't read. And what I love about these books, actually I had to write a paper on this one time. What I love about these books is the characters remind me of myself. They're always big, strong cowboys that... Why are y'all laughing? We've been over this. I'm a big strong coward. They're always in the right. And at the end of the book, they always get the girl. I got the girl anyway. So I I love these books and I've read a bunch of them. In fact, I have 60 or 70 of them myself. You can pick them up for like a dollar at a flea market. But somebody run these books for me one time. They said, you know, you don't actually have to read a book. You can just read the first page of the book. That will introduce to you the main characters, the main problems, all of the things that you really need to know about the stories contained in the first page. And then you skip all the middle part and you can read the last page and you can see the resolution for all the main characters. You can know everything you need to know about the book, because at the end of the day, if you know who the main characters are and how the story ends, how much does the journey between the two really matter? I'm going to try this this morning. Um, Is it okay if I read some of this to you for just a second? You might as well say, I'm going to do it anyway, so you might as well be in agreement. Uh, Let's just try this theory out on this book. This book is called The Last Stand at Pep... uh Go well. So, so listen to this. Um, he had stopped last night in the gunsight hills, making dry camp because others had reached the waterhole before him, and he preferred to avoid the other travelers. At daybreak, he came down out of the hills and made a little dust as he struck westward for Yuma, crossing in his mind. Logan Cates had the look of a desert about him a brown seasoned man with straight black hair above his triangular face that was all bone and tight drawn. His eyes narrow from squinting into the sun and wind were cold green and made him stop and think before he looked and uh, made someone look, stop and, let me try that again. This is why y'all didn't want me to read the book, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Let me try that again. His eyes were narrow from squinting into the sun and wind were a cold green that made a man stop and think before he looked into them a second time. Not an hour out of Gunside Hills, he drew rein to the bottom of dry wash and crawled up to the lip of the wash to survey the desert. Lifting his head among the small boulders to keep from skylining it, he studied the situation with care, having long ago learned that this was the price of life in Indian country. Ten, he judged, maybe 12 riders. The knowledge was disturbing for when so many men came together in this country, it spelled trouble. Now, that's the beginning of the story. So it sets it up. Logan Cates in the West, manly man, cowboy trouble. Let's see if we can figure out the end of the story. So if we flip to the last page here, it says um, you, you beat me, Cates. You beat me. Logan Cates looked down at him. Sorry, Kimbro, you should have known better. I was doing this when I was 16. The riders came down the trail and drew up before the opening. Logan Cates looked up and he knew at once that the big gray haired man was Jim Fair. Who are you, Fair's voice rumbled. It was a harsh and commanding. Logan Cates, he replied shortly. I'm the man who's marrying your daughter worked out pretty well for him, right? Apparently the Indians didn't get him. Apparently those 12 riders in the sunset weren't going to hurt him. Now the reason I bring that up is because I want to take a similar approach with this new story bookends to our Bible. I want us to focus for just a few weeks on the first few chapters of the book and on the last few chapters of the book. And I think what this is going to do is it's going to give us an eagle eye view of God's word that is going to help us understand the rest of the book. At the beginning of the book, it's going to introduce the main characters of the Bible, the people, or sorry, the who are involved in the scripture and when we look at the end we're going to see it who really is all about does that make sense to y'all and what this is going to do is it's going to revolutionize our view of the bible because honestly when we read the bible a lot of times what we read is thinking about ourselves this bible applies to us but what we're going to find is an understanding of the entire story that's going to help us to understand all the parts that do apply to us so if you've got excuse me if you've got your bibles with you please read with me Genesis 1. One. it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters read your, leave your Bible open we're going to come back to that here in just a second your first take home truth on truth on your paper is the God of the beginning a bigger a being greater than any other is the main point of the Bible This has been called the most insulting verse of the entire Bible, because it begins the story that God is writing, not with me, not with you, not with creation, not the things that we value, not money, not gold, not mountains, not beaches, nothing. In the beginning, God, he is the only one mentioned here. He is the main purpose of the Bible. He is the main point of the Bible. And so as we continue through this story that God is writing here, we want to know more about him and what the Bible reveals about him and what he is doing in this story. Today, as we focus on who He is, let's look at a couple of Hebrew words here to understand what's going on. The first one is the word that we translate into God. That word in your Bible in Hebrew originally was written Elohim. That is the Hebrew word for deity. A being greater than human beings who is not constrained by time, who is not constrained by the powers that we do or don't have. This Elohim is something greater than us. Now, in Hebrew, Elohim is used both to describe our God, Big G God, but is also used when you talk about other gods, Little G God gods so just the same way where we might talk about god is so good we're talking about our god the one true god but we might also say shiva is a god of the hindu religion in the same way the scripture uses the word elohim to explain gods and um, beings that i'm sorry deities that are above us now what's interesting about this word that tells us something deep about god is that this word is used as a plural The word Elohim is actually the plural of the word Eloah, which means one God. Elohim is multiple. So when God begins to write this story about himself, God refers to himself in plurality, which is interesting because the the verb is singular. It's kind of like if I said, he all went to the lake, it doesn't make sense. And when God speaks later in Genesis 126, he says this, he says, let us make man in our own image, referring to himself in multiple again, in plural. Which gives us a very big key about something about God. So your second take on truth point A is God is three in one. You see from the very beginning of the Bible, the teaching of what we call the Trinity, that this God that we see in the Bible is not just one being. Let me take that back. He is one being, but he exists in three persons, three separate co-equal parts coming together to be one God, the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. And we see that throughout the Bible as the Bible refers to him in different ways. In Genesis 1, 1 that we just read, it says the spirit of God was over the waters. There you 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 have a mention of the Holy Spirit. In John 1, Jesus Christ is placed in this moment. John starts off his gospel the same way that God starts off Genesis. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Jesus later said, the Father and I are one. The most clear place that we can see the Trinity is in Matthew chapter 3. You see Jesus in human flesh as he is baptized. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, and God the Father speaks from a cloud above him. You see all three of them in the same place at the same time. Now, this is one of the hardest things of the Bible to understand and grasp. How can God be three? How how can he be one? And I have tried for years to come up with illustrations. I've used other people's illustrations. And, And here's what I've discovered about that. Our drive to try to completely grasp the Trinity, to try to define it in a way that we can understand, I really believe that we have too low of a view of God if we think we can define him with our own ability to grasp things. See, God is so great, so high above us that we're not necessarily meant to understand him. We're meant to believe what he tells us about him, but we don't have to grasp and understand it. It's like this. How would you describe to somebody who has never been able to see, how would you describe to them the color red? They have no ability to grasp and understand color. How would we describe red? How would we describe to somebody who's never been able to hear the difference between what a guitar sounds like versus what a trumpet sounds like? See, we're supposed to believe what God tells us about him, whether or not we can believe it or not. I believe when I get in my truck, I'm going to leave here, I'm going to go start my truck. I believe when I turn on the motor and I push the accelerator that that motor, that vehicle is going to spray gas into the engine and it's going to explode. I don't know why gasoline explodes. I don't know why water doesn't explode. But I believe that it does. I believe that gas does. I don't know a lot of things about the world that we take for fact. So when we look at God, we cannot define him and put him in a box. So we just believe. Now, we're not the only people who have tried to define God. Uh, Moses, a character in Exodus, is uh, confronted by God in a burning bush one time. And God gives him instructions to rescue God's people out of Egypt. And Moses says, OK, I will go. I will do as you've told me. Um who are you again? Who who do I tell them is sending me? Who, who, Who do I say sent me when I show up? And God replies this way. God replies, I am that I am. That's all there is to it. There's not a person in here that can describe ourselves that way. Who are you? Well, I'm the son of Karen and Dwayne. I'm, I'm the pastor at Ramsey Heights Church. I'm the, the husband of Jessica. I'm the father of Oakley. We describe ourselves with all of these things that make us who we are. But when God describes himself, there is no de- definition. He just say, says simply, I am that I am. Point B on your take-home truths is God is. That's all there is to it. There's, there's no defining his existence. There's no where did he come from? There's no where did he go? No, where did he come from? Caught not Joe. If you grew up in the 90s, you get that. Like there's there's no expressing that. When the Bible says in the beginning God created, God was already there. He has no beginning, he has no end. He owes himself to nobody. He has no place of origin. He just is. And from that name that he gave Moses, I am. We get the name of God that we we say often. You may have heard it uh, uh, spoken as Jehovah. That comes from the Latin translation. Hebrew scholars agree that it's probably more likely to be correct to call this God, this being of the Bible, Yahweh. In your Bible, as you read the Old Testament, if you ever see the word Lord, the Greek word I'm sorry, the Hebrew word is Yahweh, the official name of God. Now listen to this. This is, this is Psalms 100, uh, chapter 100, verse 3. It says, know that the Lord, there it is, know that Yahweh, he is God. There's Elohim again. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. This name of God is holy to us. And it tells us who he is and it tells us that he is not owing himself to anybody. The name of God is so holy that when the scribes begin to write this, they would not even write his name without first going through a ritual. Scribes who recorded the Bible for, for hundreds, thousands of years, when they came to this, they would take time, they would set down their pen, they would pray, and then they would declare to everybody, I am about to write the name of the Lord. They would then wipe off their quill and record his name, and then they would retire that quill and get another one because that quill was so holy just from writing the name of God. That's the kind of being we're talking about in Genesis 1. A holiness that we can't even understand. But what's amazing is God writes this book to us to introduce to us himself and who he is. Now, all of that that is very, very important. We need to know God was in the beginning. We need to know his name. We definitely need to know his self-sufficiency that he owes himself to nothing or no one. But what we need to know that this is not a story about a God who was lonely and he creates. This is a story about a God who wishes to know us to be known and for his glory to be made known to the cosmos. That's the story of the Bible. That's why we study this. I could sit here and I could give you all of the definitions of who God is, but that doesn't help us to know who he is it's like my wife I could tell you about her I could tell you that her name is Jessica I could tell you her birthday is on September 12th I could tell you where she graduated from college from where she works at but you don't know her until you sit in this room and watched her cry of tears of joy over Operation Christmas Child you don't know her until you've sit in the front of a 2008 PT cruiser and watched her lip sync bye 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 by NSYNC into a plastic microphone you don't know her until you've seen, I told her I was going to use these examples. You don't know her until you've seen her crawl into bed with vanilla ice cream covered in pink sprinkles. See, to know somebody, you have to know their character, not just information about them. And what God does in this creation story, while it does, cre- while it does record the creation of the world, what God is doing is he's introducing himself to us. He's introducing who he is and how he functions and what his character is in between the lines of this creation story. And for the rest of this message, we're going to continue to focus on chapter 1. And we're going to ask ourselves, who is God? Not just what is His name, where did He come from? Who is God? What is His heart? And what is His purpose? If you've still got your Bibles open, read with me again verses 1 through 2. I want to take a fresh look at this. So, in the beginning, God, that's Elohim, Yahweh. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Your next take home truth point C is God is a creator. One of my favorite ways to, to worship God when I pray. you know, as we, as we pray here together, the first thing I always say is take some time to glorify God. Do that in your prayer life at home. Don't just sit there and go, God, here's my laundry list of things I need. Take time to pray praise for Him. whatever Whatever you can think of And one of my favorite prayers when I'm just in awe of him is to pray, God, thank you for being an artist. I'm an outdoors man. I love seeing his creation. And what an artist does, the reason I pray this, is what an artist does is he takes a blank canvas, a a lump of clay or stone, and he begins to paint or shape or chip away something that is formless, and he brings beauty into that. And that's what God did. God created the beauty of creation from nothingness everything that we see came from within him in some way nothing and then he creates beauty that means if you love the mountains God created those if you love the oceans and the beaches God created that beauty I'm so ready for the beauty of fall to get here aren't you guys ready for fall I'm so ready for the trees to turn orange and I'm ready for temperatures that are two digits instead of three by the way, the summer has been a, a witnessing opportunity. You know, if you think it's hot here, you're not made for heat. You might want to think about that eternally. Like, like when fall gets here and the beauty of the way that the world changes in fall, God created that. He didn't just create the trees. He created the colors that are on the trees. We took Oakley to the zoo about a week ago. And you can just marvel at the, the creation of animals you got this elephant, and it's just massive. God's like, I want something big, and give it a weird nose. And you go to the tiger, and you see the the slickness of this creature that's just poised to kill it all the time. God created those things, not with any blueprint. He didn't have to trace it. He just did it the snowflakes that fall with these intricate designs that you can only sometimes see under a microscope, the way the stars twinkle at night, the awesomeness of lightning against the black sky. God created all of those things in creation screams of his glory. When you walk into the world, I hope you see beauty. And when you see beauty, I hope you think of the God who created it because that's why he created the world. He created the beauty so that we would look at it and see That's him. Because what happens is a creation reflects a creator. I'm not going to quote the name because I can't remember which one of about three pastors said this, but he, he was sharing a story one time and he said, I love to take my kids hiking. And of course, when you're hiking, you're out in the middle of the woods and you're walking down the trails and it's like trees and rocks and dirt and water and stuff like that. He said, every once in a while, you come up to a place where you have to cross a, a creek. And there will be a bridge there, you know, made out of wood and nailed together and all that. And he said, my favorite thing to do, and I appreciate this because I'm now, you know, in dad joke mode. Uh, He says, one of my favorite things to do is just step off to the side and really study this bridge and go, wow, kids, isn't that amazing? Look at these trees, they all fell and then they all split themselves this way and they organized themselves in this way and then metal came out of the ground and it nailed it all together and it just happened to happen right over the creek that we need to cross. Kids, isn't that amazing? He said, my kids always do the same thing. (sighs) Dad, somebody came out here and built this. He says, how smart of you, right you are. When you see design and purpose and functionality, you think creator. And so when we look at our world and we see design in our world, when we see functionality in our world, when we see purpose in our world, we think creator. We point back to the God who creates. The world is a testament to him. Let's keep reading in your Bibles. If you've still got your Bibles open, read with me verses three through eight. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light, it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament, and the divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, so the evening and the morning were the second day stop right there the next take home truth is god brings order to chaos that's point d now this story continues we're not going to read the whole chapter i'd encourage you to homework for homework to go read all of genesis 1 but let me just give you a breakdown of what happens the same story is repeated each day and something new is created on the first day we have light and dark day and night the second day god divides the waters day three we see land and vegetation Day four, we see the stars, the moon, and the sun. Day five, we see the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. And the sixth day, we see living animals on land, culminating all in God's creation of humans before he rests on the seventh day. Now, what's interesting about the creation story, and God is revealing something about himself, is God creates this mass of earth, whatever it looked like. And here's how it's described. It's described as void and without form. In Hebrew, those words could be translated in chaos this creation was in chaos but what we see with God is he begins to move in the world and he begins to take the world into his hand and he begins to change it and on day one we have a world a universe that is void and without form but by day six we have day and night we have oceans and land we have stars and birds and we have fish and animals God brings order to the chaos and listen this is part of who God is chaos bends to the will of God God is an orderer. He is a structure. He takes care of things. And over time, he shaped things for good. And I want you to understand this about him this morning. This may be the only thing you need to know from this scripture this morning. Is that God doesn't just do this with creation. God continues to do this with creation. And God can do this with the trajectory of your life. You may be sitting here this morning and going, why is everything just always out of sorts and out of focus? Let me tell you, from experience, if you follow Christ for, for very long, you will find when you submit chaos to God, say, God, this is yours. God, I submit to myself to you in this chaos. I will do what you call me to do. God will eventually take chaos and he will bring order to him. And one of the greatest things about God is he has this ability to take bad things and make beautiful things out of them. That's what he did with our world. And he's introducing himself to you and me. And he's saying, this is the kind of God I am. I take things that are broken and I make them better. I take things that are in chaos and I bring order and structure to them. And the entire trajectory of the Bible is the story of God bringing order to chaos. Let me give you a little bit of spoiler alert. I don't know if you've read this particular book or not, but here's what's about to happen. We're going to mess all of this wonderful stuff he created up. We're gonna mess it up with something called sin. And the rest of the Bible is about God in his plan to undo the chaos that we brought into the world. All the way to the last letter of the page. God is working, or to the last letter of the last page. God is working a plan to bring order back to the chaos. Now each time God creates in each of these days, we see two things repeated here in the way that God creates, as He brings chaos into order two things are repeated the first one is that when he creates he speaks things into existence he says let there be and then there was that's repeated from verse to verse point e god is a ruler god is a ruler and maybe the other thing you need to hear this morning god is not here to serve you you were created to serve him He is the one who rules this creation. He is the one who rules this universe. In historical times, we have presidents here, but in historical times, countries had kings and queens. And kings and queens were not known for their hard work ethic. Kings and queens were known for issuing decrees. In any kingdom, a kingdom said, let it be this way, and then the kingdom responds, and they carry out his orders. What we see of God is we see is he is a king. He is the king of kings because his kingdom, his creation, when he speaks, it responds. What we see about God is God did not labor in creation. God doesn't direct creation. God decrees existence. And in his creation, his majesty is honored in every way. Creation exists by his word and it responds to his word. He has ultimate control. And if you were here this morning calling yourself a Christian, let me tell you what that means. It's not a fancy word for I go to church on Sunday morning. What it means to be a Christian is that we come here and we say, I declare that God is the king. I choose to follow him and submit myself to his rule. I choose to follow him and submit myself to his decrees. He is the one who is in control. This story is about him. It's not about me. And then I declare his majesty to the world. And if my God, who is the king, if my king says to run from sin, I run from sin. If my God, my king says declare his glory to the nations, I declare his glory to the nations. Let me ask you, why would you do that? That was like the opposite of the world dream. you have everything you want in this world. You can rule this world. You can do whatever you want to. Why would somebody say, I want to submit myself to a God? I want to follow his rules. I want to do it his way. I want to accept him as my savior and choose to follow him. Why would I do that? It's because what we have found out is that this God that we serve, this king of kings, he is a good God and he is a good king. Everybody say amen. He is good. And that is why we serve him. The second thing that is repeated in every aspect of creation, is God looks at His creation and He says, "It is good." Next take-home truth point: F. God is good. See when He looks at creation and He says, "It is good." What He's looking at is He's saying this creation it was created good. That word, that word "good" means desirable. That is something to be desired, to be wanted. That, that is going to be a positive to somebody's life. It's kind of like kind of like food. There's some food that is good food, some food that is not good food. Would you guys agree? I had a friend a few, I don't know, a couple months ago, McDonald's or somebody did this. I don't know, somebody was on drugs or something. I'm not sure what the deal was. They decided they were just gonna combine everything they had in the restaurant and they were gonna sell like this special menu of things. And it was like a Big Mac with a filet of fish and a McRib all combined. And and my buddy sent it out in the group. He's like, I can't wait to eat this stuff. And I'm like, that is gross, I'm not eating that. That is not good, that is not to be desired. First off, it's gonna give you a heart attack. Secondly, I don't know, gross. But you walk past me with a ribeye and a baked potato, I'm gonna start licking my chops a little bit because it's good and it's to be desired. When God looks at this creation, he says, This is good. Why is creation good? It's because crea- a, a creation, any creation, is a reflection of its creator. See, a person or a being creates for two reasons a creator creates because of need. The reason we're in a building, we had need, so we created a building. But the true artists don't create because of need. The true artists create as a form of expression. And, And when we look at scripture, what I see in a God who can say simply, I am. I don't need anything else. I don't need any descriptions of myself. I am that I am. I don't see a God who has need. I see a God who chooses to express himself and so all of this creation is an expression of who God is and if God is good and he's expressing himself in creation then creation is also good later in this book I hope, I hope you spend time reading it I hope you spend time studying it you'll find these, ver- these words talking about the same God talking about Yahweh it Says God is love have you guys heard that before? talk about God God doesn't just love God is love and so if, if God is creating, God is love, and he is creating as an expression of himself, what that tells me is that creation is an expression of God. Creation is an expression of his love. And this creation must have a purpose. He must have a plan for that love. Because to love, you must love something. And we see a hint at what God is doing in, in verse 14. If you still got your Bibles open, read this with me. So this is the third day of creation. It says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens and give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the fermentation above the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and to rule over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good so the evening and the morning were the fourth day i'm sorry i think i said third day earlier the fourth day listen to what god's doing here he's creating all of this all of this beauty is being expressed by him he's creating this beautiful creation and here's what he says he says oh yeah i'm gonna put stars in the sky and these will be for signs i'm gonna create a sun and a moon and these will mark time for who who needs to read the signs who needs time marked for them? And what you see about creation is creation is not just meant to be created. God is making a creation that is meant to be experienced. If you love, if you love the beach, I know some of you love the beach, Amanda. If you love the beach, God made that for you. If you love mountains like I do, God made that for you. If you love to look up at the stars at night, God made that for you. This creation was meant to declare his glory and to be experienced by someone. And on day six, he creates that someone. And then listen to this. This beautiful creation that expresses the glory of our God and his majesty as the king. He creates human beings and he gives it to us. Read with me verses. This is the last set of verses. We've got 26 through 31. And God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth for every tree whose fruits yield seeds to you. It shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb of food. And it was so. Then God saw everything that he made. And indeed, it was good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth sixth day. Your next take home truth is God is a giver. All of this creation, all of these days of creation, he's speaking outer space into, do you know how vast outer space is? They think outer space is still expanding. I don't think it's expanding. I think that the visual of it is just now getting here. There are galaxies that we don't even know of, bigger than the galaxy that we live in. All of that was created to show his glory to you and me. God gives us creation. And what he's effectively saying is, here, experience what I have created. Experience how I have created order from chaos. Experience my kingdom. And because this creation is a reflection of me, God says, experience me. You and I in this creation were created to know and be known by God and to make them known. And here's what I love about this. When God creates Adam and Eve, he doesn't just say, here, have it, go ahead. God doesn't decree that Adam and Eve will have dominion over everything. God converses with Adam and Eve. Did you notice that? Take all of these things, have dominion over them. Later in the Bible, we'll see God puts Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He just walks through the garden with them. God created all of this and he created us and he gave us to it for a purpose, to be known and to know he begins to, to speak with us and it tells us something about the purpose of you and me is our purpose is to live in harmony with this God. Our purpose is to live in harmony with the Elohim who was in the beginning. Our purpose is to be able to know, to speak with and converse and live with Yahweh. Your last take home truth is God is knowable. God made himself available to us. That was his ultimate design in creation. That this creation would reflect his glory. That we would be a part of his creation. That we would have dominion over his creation. And that we would live with harmony with him in this creation. But as I said earlier, Rick and Glyndid, if y'all want to start to make your way up here. As I said earlier, we messed it up. This wonderful God who loves us so passionately gives us these things. And then just a couple of chapters later, you see Adam and Eve. You see them say... I don't want these things. I don't want you to be God. I don't want a God as good as you are. I want to be God. And every person in this room has lived our life that way, saying that we want to be God, rejecting Him. God could have been done with us. And if I was God, I would have been done with us. I gave you this goodness. I gave you this amazingness. And the first thing you do is you turn your back on me. You walk away from me. But that's not who our God is. Because our God is good and our God is love. And so what you'll see through the rest of the story of the Bible is God's story of pursuing you and me. Till he comes here in the human flesh and gives his life to take our punishment for our sin. Now this morning what I want you to know is that God is knowable. And if you know him, I hope you sing loudly as we prepare to worship here in a second. And we worship his greatness and his majesty. But if you're here this morning, I want you to know that this is a real God. And one day, you will be brought back under His rule. The Bible says this, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And we will do that in this life or we will do that when this life is over. But we will stand before God and we will say, you are the creator. God gives us the ability to walk into that moment with confidence in His love because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. If you're not one of His believers, if you've not placed your faith in Him, I want to invite you to do that today. Because God's design was not for you to live separate from him for all of your life. God's design was for you to live in harmony with him. And he provided the way for us to do that again. I'm standing up here waiting on you. I'd love to talk with you. Let's stand up and worship, please.